The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and an investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And I am absolutely delighted to welcome my guest today, Dr. Jennifer Smilowitz. She is the Associate Director of the Human Studies Research Program for the Foods for Health Institute at the University of California at Davis. She holds a doctoral degree in nutritional biology with an emphasis in endocrinology from the University of California, Davis. She has investigated the relationships between diet and the environment on breast milk and infant health. Her research is translational, which means her focus is to bring discoveries from the lab bench to the kitchen table. She is especially interested in the first 1,000 days from pregnancy through a child's second birthday. It's a critical period of life when diet and the environment largely influence long-lasting health. She has conducted numerous human studies to investigate ways to improve gut health using food-based solutions, including prebiotics and probiotics from newborns to adults. Welcome, Dr. Smilowitz. Oh, thank you, Melinda. That was a great introduction. It's such a pleasure to be here. Well, your research is, I think, so cutting-edge and so necessary you just held a very exciting international conference at UC Davis, although it was virtual, on milk, the milk microbiome, the magic, the benefits of human milk and how it interacts with our gut microbiome. So I want to touch on that. But let me start by simply asking you, how did you become interested in this field? Oh, well, so I was really interested to understand how we can feed people in a way to prevent disease. I in the, Originally, when I was at UCLA, I was a pre-med major, and I wanted to become a physician so I could then go study alternative medicine and diet so I could help my patients eat right so they can prevent heart disease and all these other chronic diseases. And then I thought, well, why don't I just become a, an expert in food and nutrition? And so I pursued a PhD in nutrition at UC Davis, and they have an excellent program there. But, you know, one thing that I was fascinated with, so different, you know, investigators will look at different foods as a model of health. Some people are interested in lycopene found in tomatoes or flavanols found in grapes. But I thought, what's this thing about lactation? Lactation just absolutely floored my mind when to realize that one food was so complete that could be fed to a human for the first six months of life to not only nourish, but to support growth and development, including the protection against pathogens. So to support the development of the immune system, to support the developing brain, to support just the entire body with one food that was just so unique. So I studied lactation at the end of my PhD and I did my postdoctoral work on lactation as well, where I investigated how the microbiome interacted with different components, different molecules in breast milk. And then I applied that knowledge 
to other ages, including weaning ages and pregnancy. Well, the microbiome is probably the most exciting area of nutrition research, certainly in my career, in terms of being a game changer. And the idea that what happens in our gut has such far-reaching effect. And your study of the first 1,000 days, now we're taking a look not only at what happens during pregnancy, but what are we feeding our children and what happens in the gut that is going to predict long-term health? I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the very special relationship between mother's milk and the infant gut microbiome. Absolutely. That is, that is the most critical piece that, we're, that people are missing when they're thinking about alternative sources of milk, like infant formula for infants. Human milk is so unique. It not only delivers nutrients to support the growth of the infant, but it also delivers these bioactive compounds. Now, what is a bioactive compound? It's an, a molecule that does something, uh, targets the f- a function in the body that is not related to nutrition. So, for example, human milk is chock full of signaling molecules, hormones, antibodies, growth factors, antioxidants, white blood cells, enzymes, flavor molecules, but also a large proportion of these complex carbohydrates called human milk oligosaccharides, or HMOs. Now, HMOs are abundant in milk as much as protein, but they are not digested by human babies or humans, by human adults. They're just not digested by us. So what do they do if they're so concentrated in human milk? Why would the mother spend her time and energy? Why would her body make them if they're not used by the baby? And more than 15 years of research at UC Davis um, by my colleagues and myself have discovered that there is this really unique relationship between human milk oligosaccharides and a group of protective or beneficial microorganisms that we call the milk oriented microbiome or mom and i wrote about this in a cover piece in in the scientist this june which summarizes the relationship between breast milk and the microbiome now what we found is that when babies have mom and specifically um, a group or species of bacteria that belong to the genus bifidobacterium these specific species of bifidobacterium have the ability to digest, to consume, digest, and metabolize and utilize these human milk oligosaccharides and thrive. Now, we have found, unfortunately, that in the last 100 years, in developing countries, babies are missing specific strains of bifidobacterium, and one is that we have studied is Bifidobacterium infantis, or B. infantis. We've studied other bifidobacterial strains or species that consume human milk oligosaccharides, but none are like B. infantis. And we found that there's an, an absence or a reduction of B. infantis in babies in developed countries. So resource-rich countries like Europe and uh, that are in Europe and in the U.S. and Canada. And so we, it begs the question, what's happening? What's causing the 
reduction or the disappearance of B. infantis, which is protective. And so we think it has a lot to do with the medical practices or the consequences of medical practices that also save lives. B. infantis is basically a sensitive to antibiotics. B. infantis is not passed from mother to baby during cesarean section delivery. And B. infantis is not fed by anything that's found in infant formula. So we're seeing that babies have a, a decline of B. infantis. And we're also seeing at the same time an increase in allergic diseases, including asthma, allergy, and atopy. Mm. Well, in preparation for this interview, I went online and did some research and found that one in three babies in the United States are born via C-section. And so not only are they not getting the seeding of their infant microbiome through the vaginal canal, but many times it's my understanding that they're also exposed or they could be exposed to antibiotics. So I'm wondering what is going on in hospitals that can be affecting this large amount of dysbiosis or gut ill health that we see in the United States. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. I mean, I, I think the the one thing I wanted to emphasize before I address that question is that why is B. infantis so beneficial? So when it consumes the human milk oligosaccharides and thrives, it outcompetes pathogens, potential pathogens, and it dominates the infant gut as, as long as it's consuming human milk oligosaccharides. Now, when antibiotics are introduced to, this, to infants, it wipes out B. infantis, and then it provides this ecological niche or this like open available territory for other microorganisms to thrive or grow. And the infantis may not have an edge in that particular instance. Same with mom. So say mom takes antibiotics. Say she takes antibiotics for acne. Say she's not even in the hospital, but she just takes it routinely. Or some people push for antibiotics if they're, they feel ill and maybe an, uh, the doctor will prescribe it even though they know it's just a virus and it wouldn't even work on the virus. But so people are taking it, and I think there's an overuse of antibiotics um, in the hospital and also out of the hospital, and that's affecting both in infants, because if you're feeding antibiotics directly to, that, to those infants, and also to the parents, to the mothers that are passing their microorganisms down to their infants, rather than pass the infantis or other bifidobacterial species to her infant, if she's taking antibiotics, now she's passing potential pathogens that were thriving after a succession of antibiotic therapy. Hmm. So we have an opportunity as adults, we talk about the adult microbiome and then the infant microbiome. At the infant microbiome, we can still influence it in terms of you know seeding it to have a healthy environment. Once we get to be adults, probiotics really don't have the same effect as they do on the infants. I don't know if you want to touch on a little bit of that. I think it's interesting. Maybe our listeners would want to know the difference between the infant microbiome and the adult microbiome in terms of the ability of probiotics to really influence it long term. It's an excellent question. So adults have a very stable microbiome in their gut, and it means it just doesn't change easily. We've had our microbiomes for years and years, and those microorganisms have occupied the territory or uh, ecological niche in the gut and have been there, have been consuming the diet that we've been consuming and sort of camped out. And so there's not a lot of space for new microorganisms to come and sort of take residence. And so what adults may do is they may take a probiotic, 
and then it may just kind of, as long as, as long as they're continuing to take a probiotic, you'll see it in their stool. Whether or not it takes uh, residence is the question, because as soon as an adult stops taking an, a probiotic, then we see a disappearance of those specific microorganisms. So it seems like probiotics in adults don't really work like we hope that they do. Part of it is because there's already this ecological niche filled with other microorganisms. And also, when you consume a, a probiotic, you also need to feed it its specific food in order for it to thrive. But it's got to be unique for that specific microorganism. When we consume prebiotics, these are basically food for microorganisms, most prebiotics feed kind of all beneficial microbes. So if you're consuming a specific probiotic strain and you want it to flourish, you have to feed it. But it turns out you're also going to end up feeding all the other microorganisms that are there because there aren't any really selective prebiotics that are there for a specific microorganism, except when we're talking about human milk oligosaccharides. Now, human milk oligosaccharides in human milk is actually a prebiotic. It feeds only a few microorganisms really well, specifically those that belong to the genus Bifidobacterium. Now, infants, they're born almost with a, what we would say a, a quite a sterile intestine where not very many microorganisms are taking host. They are through time, but in the beginning, the infant is delivered and acquires microorganisms from mom's vaginal canal and also her colon right through the passing of uh, the, basically a vaginal delivery isn't sterile, right. uh, but is exposed to some microorganisms from mom. And there's this whole new territory there aren't very many. There's a lot of ecological niches open. And so microorganisms can now, they have space and they have resources to kind of fill that niche and sort of, like I said, camp out. But if, as long as HMOs are being fed to the baby and then to bifidobacterium, bifidobacterium is happy and will start to consume its food. Pathogens, potential pathogens, the microorganisms that we consider deleterious that cause inflammation, they are not able to consume HMOs. So they are outcompeted by bifidobacterium that do consume HMOs mm. in breast milk. Yeah, what a beautiful relationship there. We need to take one break because we're halfway through. And so I just want to remind our listeners, if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are joined by Dr. Jennifer Smilowitz. She is the Associate Director of the Human Studies Research Program for the Foods for Health Institute at UC Davis. And she has a particularly wonderful understanding and research history with the infant gut microbiome and probiotics that work. So I love that the infant microbiome is malleable. We can colonize it with beneficial bacteria. Breast milk absolutely is the best food for infants. We know that sometimes, um, for whatever reason, moms may not have the ability to breastfeed. But we want to make sure that that infant gut is still the healthiest it can be. We want to try to do everything we can to eliminate dysbiosis and I'm hoping that the research that you're doing will influence formula companies to create formulas that even more closely resemble breast milk. Yeah, so that's really difficult to do because breast milk is dynamic, it's responsive, it's complex. So I'll give you some examples. 
the HMOs, for example, HMOs, human milk oligosaccharides, represent basically the third most abundant component in human milk. So we're talking about something like 15 grams per liter. A baby about four months of age consumes about almost a liter, 800 milliliters of, of human milk, maybe something between 10 and 15 grams of human milk oligosaccharides. They're complex in structure. There are about 200 different structures of human milk oligosaccharides. They're basically something between 3 to 20 single sugars that are bound in these very complex linkages, these, these bonds. And so you see a lot of branching, and they're linear, and they're bulky. And it requires many different enzymes to cleave them. So we rely on our gut microbes, specifically bifidobacteria, to cut these bonds and consume them. Formula companies would love to add HMOs to formula. And, of course, we would want that because we'd want to have a formula that could mimic human milk as much as possible for those babies whose either mothers can't breastfeed or you, there are many situations where breast milk is not a, a possibility. But human milk oligosaccharides are very difficult to make. They're mm. synthetically, they're complex. And so that complex structure makes it difficult to make in the laboratory or even in like in yeast culture. Um, if you insert genes into yeast, you can, you know, basically create other molecules, but the complexity of HMOs makes it so difficult. So, and then, but some, some formula companies have found a way to add one or two of the human milk oligosaccharides. Now I said there were 200 different structures in human milk, but really about 10 represent maybe something like 90% of the human milk oligosaccharide structure. So there are two that formula companies could add or have added, but we're talking about, let's say, you know, one gram per liter instead of 10 to 15. So not the complexity yet and not the amount. Right. Let's talk about B. infantis, that particular species of microorganism that really appears to be protective in preventing dysbiosis in infants and protecting children and adults from long-term health problems. How can we help moms get their hands on this? I know that there have been research on probiotics on the shelves. Not all of them contain what they say they do. So when we as consumers go into the marketplace, we say, okay, I've just heard this great interview with Dr. Smilowitz. I want to make sure that my infant gets this B infantis. How do we know what we're getting? Right. It's a really good question. You know, probiotics are not regulated by the FDA. So it's, there's no guarantee to know what you're getting is actually described by the label. Like I had mentioned earlier, one of my colleagues, a microbiologist, was very curious to know, and it was published, on the analysis of probiotic products on the shelf that anyone can purchase. There were 16 of them that he purchased that all claimed that they contained the subspecies Bifidobacterium longum infantis, so B. infantis. And of the 16, only one actually contained B. infantis. The others contained B. longum, which is the adult version of B. infantis. Now, why is that important to know? Well, because B. longum is the adult version of B. infantis. B. longum consumes plant polysaccharides, which is great. We have them in adults. We're adults. We eat plants, plant foods. So B. longum can digest plant polysaccharides in our diet. 
the Enfantis is different functionally from B. longum in that it doesn't really consume plant polysaccharides very well. It consumes human milk oligosaccharides very well. The Enfantis can consume all the human milk oligosaccharides, and it does it in this elegant way. It internalizes, it brings in the HMOs by binding to the HMOs that are found in the lumen of the gut. Then it transports HMOs inside of its cell, and then it has all the enzymes to break apart all those bonds to make all the complex structure into the single units that it can then consume and metabolize. And as a result of consuming human milk oligosaccharides, B. infantis produces, as a byproduct, short-chain fatty acids, these little acids called acetate and lactate. And you may know acetate by acetic acid, which is actually what's in vinegar. So it forms like what, these little molecules like vinegar and excretes it into the lumen of the gut, so the, the baby's gut, and it lowers the pH. The pH is you know, a way of measuring basically acidity, so it keeps the things a little bit acidic in the environment. And pathogens, potential pathogens, do not thrive in that environment. So what we're seeing is in our clinical trial, the imprint study, we fed a B. infantis strain called EVC001 to babies on day seven of life for 21 days and compared to babies who were not fed B. infantis, but all babies were fed breast milk exclusively. We provided them with patient support. And then we followed them one month after supplementation and then up to one year post-supplementation. And we found that when babies were fed infantis and were exclusively breastfed, we reduced potential pathogens by 80%. And we increased bifidobacterium, this protective genus, by 79%. We increased the amount of short-chain fatty acids. We lowered the pH by one log. So that's a tenfold difference from the babies who were not fed infantis. And we found a reduction in inflammation. So molecules that are produced by the immune cells in the gut were actually reduced by several fold. We found a reduction in antibiotic resistance genes that are carried by those potential pathogens. So we saw a complete change in the biochemistry of the gut, a complete restoration of the microbiome in these babies. And we followed them up to one year of age and we found that as long as babies were still consuming breast milk, which contains HMOs, the food for B. infantis, that they still had B. infantis in part of their microbiome compared to babies who were just exclusively breastfed. So you're asking, which product should people buy? And, well, you want to buy the product that is clinically proven. And the product that we used in our study was not commercially available at the time, but now it is. It's called Evivo, E-V-I-V-O, and it contains B. infantis, EVC001. We've published many articles on the different the findings from this particular study. We also use this specific probiotic in older babies as well as the newborns, and we found very similar results. That's wonderful. And you've also got some research links on your website that I will provide to our listeners. You've got the remedy study. You've also got an interesting study. I don't know if we have time to dive into it too much, but just to mention the infant mind study, I think that our listeners would be really interested in knowing about that too. Yeah. So we're really interested in what should we feed our babies, our newborns? And so we know breast milk is the perfect food, nothing more than breast milk in the first six months of age. 
know that babies of developed countries have a loss of the infantis, which is naturally or has evolved to consume HMOs to protect the baby, to reduce inflammation, and to educate the immune system, which 80% of the immune system lives in the gut. So we're hoping that babies are now going to, their microbiomes will be restored with B. infantis along with breast milk, which feeds not only baby, but B. infantis. But then the next question is, well, when babies are ready to consume foods, complementary foods, around six months of age, well, what should we feed them? to support a healthy microbiome because we know that the infantis doesn't consume plant polysaccharides. So so which microorganisms should flourish in this period while the immune system is still continuing to develop? And so we're conducting this study called the Infant Mind Study, and Mind stands for the Microbiome in Nutrition and Development Study. And so we're trying to understand what weaning foods we can introduce that will support a healthy gut microbiome while babies are still continuing to consume breast milk, and how does that affect not only their gut health but their cognitive and motor functioning? Hmm. Yeah, and we should talk about that because so many processed foods are they're cheap at the counter, they're cheap at the checkout, but they really have a cost in terms of overall child health and not nourishing the gut. They're highly marketed to children, high sugar foods, high refined carbohydrate, but those kinds of foods are not good for the child's microbiome. So what kinds of weaning foods would you say should definitely be on a parent's list? Right. It's a really good question. I think that what's really important is to focus on the matrix of food. We learn a lot about the matrix from lactation. So breast milk is a matrix. It delivers food molecules, nutrition, protection, supports development through the delivery of complex structures in a matrix. And so you really want complex foods to be consumed not only in the first six months of life with breast milk, but you also want to consume solid foods that are that also contain a matrix. So I would highly recommend early foods would include whole foods, fruits, vegetables, legumes, less processed but very diverse and complex in structure, specifically plant structure. We also know learning from lactation, I would also recommend to to continue to feed to continue to feed breast milk until the, the child and mother are no longer interested. The World Health Organization recommends to exclusively breastfeed up to six months of age, and then uh, with complementary feeding at six months and up to at least two years or beyond. And I think that continuing to nourish the healthy microbiome with human milk while the solid foods are introduced, which in the form of plant polysaccharides, plant foods, vegetables, legumes, would be very beneficial. I think that also animal protein would also be beneficial, foods that are found in nature. And ideally, that would be all the fruits and vegetables, legumes, and but also just meat, eggs, that sort of just so, so foods from animal protein. That's perfect. We are going to have to close because we are out of time, but you will have to come back and talk more about your fascinating research. You are a wealth of knowledge. 
In closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Jennifer Smilowitz, Associate Director of the Human Studies Research Program for the Foods for Health Institute at UC Davis. I will provide a link to your excellent article in The Scientist titled The Infant Gut Microbiome and Probiotics at Work. Thank you so much for your time and your research and helping us all have a healthier population. Thank you, Melinda. It's been a pleasure.